Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Riccia, and this is episode number 283 of the podcast. It's the 23rd of June, 2021, as I record this intro. And this week, Anna Brown and I talk about our theme in the Living Joyfully Network this month, play. We dive into how integral play is for learning both about the world and about ourselves. We can carry a lot of preconceived notions about play, its value, its place in our lives, even the definition of what it actually is. Broadening our perspective and seeing the many ways play contributes to our lives and growth, adults and children, can be profound. Play seems like it might be a simple topic, but there is so much depth to it, and it's been a lot of fun to explore and reflect upon this important aspect of our unschooling lives. In the Living Joyfully Network, our shared goals are to embrace lifelong learning, develop strong and connected relationships with our kids, and cultivate a thriving unschooling lifestyle in our families. In the network, we don't tell you how you should unschool. We share experience, not advice. Our collaborative approach grows out of my and Anna's belief that there is no one right answer that applies to all families, especially when it comes to learning and parenting. No two families are exactly alike. Not to mention each child in a family is unique. In the community, we share our diverse experiences and insights as more information to help you explore and discover what works for you and your family. If you're curious to learn more about the network and our vision and values, check out the link in the show notes or just go to livingjoyfully.ca slash network. And before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon and a big welcome to new patrons, Autumn Smith and Alisa Alardo. Hi, Autumn. Hi, Alisa. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page on patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash exploring unschooling. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Anna. Welcome. I'm Pamela Riccia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Anna Brown. Hi, Anna. Hey, Pam. (laughs) So this month in the Living Joyfully Network, our theme has been play, and we have been having a lot of fun playing with it. (laughs) Play is integral to learning both about the world and about ourselves. So I'm really excited to dive into this with you today. Yay. Yay, me too. (laughs) So our first topic of discussion, I wanted to dive into just how play and learning weave together. Because a playful environment really is so conducive to learning. In play, children naturally place themselves where the challenge of the activity and their skill are closely matched, right? Because if the activity is too easy, they get bored and they move on. And if it's too hard, they're apt to become frustrated or anxious and also want to move on. 
So not only is that where they have the most fun, where they're choosing to play, it's also where great learning happens. And that's because they've chosen the activity, they're interested and engaged and more likely to get into the flow of it. That's where their curiosity to try things out and the immediate feedback from their choices weave together to make learning connections right, left, and center. And not to mention when they've chosen this play, there's lots of intrinsic motivation, which helps them keep going to try different things when something doesn't work as anticipated. And that's another thing that's so interesting about play. While the motivation is fun and engagement, that doesn't mean it's always literally fun. (laughs) I imagine most of uh, parents uh, have seen their kids want to keep playing something even when things get challenging or frustrating, right? Because when they're playing, they're learning, full stop. That makes sense? Yes. I mean, you know, I just think play is so critical to learning. You know, experimentation leads to discovery and play is a form of experimentation. So I think we have this idea. We know that. But then when we realize in practice, yes, that's what play is, toying around with things, figuring things out. And it starts young. What happens when I drop this object off the high chair? (laughs) You know? That's experimentation. And as children come across new concepts, you know, you'll see it come out in their play as they try to make sense of it and master things. And that's what you're talking about, like where it can, when you're trying to master something, I'm thinking of Raylan doing um, like a forward walkover. Holy heck, did we hit the ground a lot of times when we were trying to do that? But it was fun and play to her, but it was serious and not always fun and sometimes frustrating and sometimes mad. But it was playing to master something that that she found important at the time. And, you know, these can be concrete ideas. They can be emotions. They can be physical challenges. They can be interpersonal pieces. That's kind of the amazing, um, like what we're discovering about all the things that are involved in play. And early on in my journey, I heard this quote from Fred Rogers, and he said, Play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning, but for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. And it just really stuck with me and helped me prioritize space and time for play. And I think it also helped me not go to a place of judgment. Um, In my childhood, not so much from my parents, but from school and society and outside of school, you know, school or work was the priority. And play was a nice to have if there was leftover time, you know, and, and now I know that play is everything. And from there, everything else flows, you know, including learning, growth, and even productivity, something that I feel like I was falsely told was just a result of, quote, the hard work, you know, the the kind of drudgery work. Um, But it doesn't have to be that way. So understanding the role play has in our lives, the potential, the gifts of it can just, oh my gosh, can just shift so many things. I love that. I love that quote. And it I can see that it's such a transition, helpful transitional piece, because I, I love how he talks about play is really the work of childhood. Because as you said, to reach people, work is valued so much more than play, right? So we really need to <laughs> tell people, you know, this play really is work. Because people are just so caught up in that productivity cycle in that, you know, we need to do all the hard things of work. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, but I just wanted to plant that seed. I like that. 
Um, The other piece of play, again, is because play is like fun, play is our relaxed time, play is recreation, we are less apt to kind of try to control our children's play than in other moments. And that way, that just naturally lets them have more choice, right, as they're moving through their play. And having choice in, in those moments, even when things start to get frustrating, is really, really valuable because then they have the choice to keep going. They have the choice to pause. They have the choice to move on to something else. It is so valuable for us not to be micromanaging. And that is the great piece about play is that we we naturally do let it unfold a little bit more uh, naturally. So that is, is super helpful for them. And So what we can do instead, because, you know, with unschooling, we're not talking about, okay, let's leave them to play, right? But we can be, we can be part of it so much. We can be there. um, We can be supportive. We can kind of hold the space for them, especially in those frustrating moments where they're trying to process and figure out what's going on, how they want to move through it. That's all super valuable learning too, as part of their play. And they will find their way really quickly back to the fun, right? That, that's one thing that always surprised me when something went wrong. Like for me, as again, that, that something that we absorb growing up, that things that go wrong are bad, right? right? They're not just messages. Oh, that didn't work. I'm going to move in this direction. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, they're going to be so upset forever because that thing didn't work out the way they expected. But when held space for them, they could get back to, they could, you know, just kind of switch quickly, figure out where they wanted to go next and keep going. So it's, it is so helpful for us not being um, directly trying to control their play or trying to nudge them in certain directions, but letting it unfold is really a valuable aspect of it. Right. Yeah. And even not putting that piece on it. Like I know you probably said that internally, but I think sometimes we can kind of put on, oh my gosh, that must be so terrible that that didn't work out, you know, but no leaving space for that because they often do not have the baggage about that. Yeah. Yeah. They often just, yeah. It's like, "Mm, that didn't work. I'm going to do it differently next time. And so that was really, you know, taught me a lot. And I know you and I have talked about that before. And I I think it's just really important. I feel like one of our roles in supporting is carving out the time and space for it, you know, that prioritizing. And for me, that Fred Rogers quote did help me get to that place of prioritizing it until I learned even more, you know, like it just helped me with that first bit. Because I think it takes time to get into the flow, you know, with play or with anything else. And when we're interrupting the flow, it's really short circuiting the learning that's happening, you know, because we don't know how that's working. But flow, again, takes some time. Um, Having the space to see where things go, to move through the disappointments, time and space for that to pivot and start again, like you were just saying, you know, these are important concepts and they're tools that we take with us forward in life. So, you know, that you see those, I think that's been fascinating for me to see how that developed in my children through their play and how now in their twenties, it's serving them in other ways. So I think, you know, with that longer view, you can kind of put some of those pieces together. Um, And I also think it's about listening and connection because, you know, we talk about connection every single time and when we're keeping connection in the forefront, you know, we know our children, we know what they love. We know what they're exploring, you know, and we can think of things to put in your path and see what sparks. 
And because we have this strong connection, we can survive when we get it wrong sometimes because, you know, not everything we put in our path is going to be a hit. But if we're connected and not putting expectations or attachment on it, it's just more learning, just like we were talking about. It's just a pivot. It's like, "Mm, okay, that didn't work. That wasn't something that sparked. We'll move on. There's no attachment to how that plays out. And, and I think the other piece too, that you're talking about this kind of interplay, it's finding ways that we can be involved, you know, with the play and how that works. And something we've learned on the network this month is how individual play is. I found that fascinating that what is play to one person is absolutely not to another, you know? And so I've personally struggled with pretend play, but what I could do was provide an environment for my kids to pretend play, whether I'm creating costumes or helping them build a fort or a set of something that they're wanting to do. Um, and then I could find the things that I could play with, at, which was cards or art projects or reading. Like those were things that I had felt like I could be more directly involved with and do for long periods of time. And, you know, but I could play that supporting role and the things that didn't fit. So I I really think, you know, toying with those ideas, thinking about how can I be involved and supportive, even when it doesn't necessarily fit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And we kind of already dove into our second topic there, which was ways to support and engage with our kids um, in and their play. Because there's one piece aspect that I wanted to point out, too, is that we can, uh, certainly when we're newer to unschooling, we can feel like we want to set up a really awesome kind of learning environment, right? And play is the work of childhood, you know, so we just want to set this up perfectly. Um, and we want to set it up. We want our kids to come in and get to their their work of play. But as you said, it's really more about cultivating that time and that space for them without the attachment and the expectation on it, right? Even if it doesn't uh, attract their attention or something we thought they would play longer, you know, and they'd stop doing it. It's it's really about not taking that personally. It's more information for us, right? So that we can um, help support them moving on. It's like, oh, okay, not that. How about this? Let's try this. And I think one of the things that's really helpful when we think about how we can support them, like just in the moment, as you were talking about, um, sometimes they want to play with us, right? And and we're engaged with them. We are playing. They may be, um, sometimes they're directing us. Sometimes we're just like all getting into the flow of the game together, Um, but sometimes it's more helpful for us to just be nearby, right? Again, we're not talking about separating. You go off and play and I'll go off and do my thing. What we can do when we're nearby is we can kind of unobtrusively fill in the needs of play. That's like, that's what we were talking about, about, um, like the supplies and, and bringing things in. I remember I used to have like, you know, puppeteer, or if they like, oh, what about this? You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to go grab that. Here you go. And you can help them stay in the flow more easily when you are nearby to notice what's going on. And I think that's another thing we talk about is kind of the dance of our relationships and just unschooling in general. And that, that is just a beautiful example of how we can support play and, and just participate in that dance of the day with them. 
Um, another interesting thing to think about, if we are coming at it from thinking we need to kind of set up this play environment for them, set up this learning environment ahead of time, then it is being driven by us, right? Yeah. We need to be cognizant of that <laughs> because what's really valuable for play and for learning is with um, the child to be bubbling up what's interesting for them because that's where their mind is. That's where they're super curious about the thing. And if we keep redirecting them, as we've been talking about, because we've set up this wonder, look at all these Legos we set up for you here and here's the directions and we really should sit down and and follow them and do the thing. But if we can, um, you know, we can set up environments kind of as inspiration. We've talked before about how, you know, sometimes it's really nice to just kind of clean the space up, right? The toys away, clean it up. It's a whole new space for inspiration when they come in. Um, but when we notice that we're being uh, maybe triggered a little bit about, oh, why aren't they doing this? Oh, no, you should use it this way. That's a great clue for us to kind of step back and just think about the environment that we're trying to cultivate, that we really want the time and the space to do what is interesting to them is kind of the most important aspect of it, isn't it? Right. I mean, I think it's so important to just not take their play on as your job because exactly what you're saying. I mean, it makes it about you and about your expectations and and kids are going to play period. If given the space and time, they're going to find ways to interact with their environment and play no matter what's in that environment, you know? And so this is not something to carry as a weight, you know, that, that are have tos definitely, you know, just play with your involvement, watch your kids, you know, they're going to lead the way with those pieces. And I, I think that's, just, you know, we just wanted to get that across because sometimes, especially when you're new to unschooling, you're just carrying a lot of weight about, I got to do this right. I don't want to let my kids down. I don't want to upset. And, and it's it's really more about just watching them, seeing how it bubbles up from inside of them and not putting your expectations, you know, on that. And and the clean canvas, I think, is something to just mention specifically because that helped me when like, whoo, we'd had a lot of play going on. And, you know, and sometimes they wanted to keep the scenes out for a long time, you know, because they would revisit and add new things and whatever. But sometimes it just, they were kind of done and it was just taking up space. And so I could just lovingly and joyfully like straighten that space. And then they would come in and sometimes they'd be helping me with it, or sometimes it would be a surprise. But it's like, whoa, now we've got all our tools out again and we can start creating new. So that was just kind of a fun way to like have that fun energy around cleaning up the spaces because you could see these new masterpieces bubbling up after that clean canvas was created. And there was something you mentioned this month that I wanted to be sure to bring up too, um, because we talked about having that time and space, right? And so it's, it is a valuable thing to do to periodically kind of look at our schedules. If we're feeling, starting to feel like a little bit overwhelmed, see if we're feeling a little bit overscheduled. Because if you don't have that open time to let things unfold, if you're kind of always feeling like, okay, you can play for the next hour and then we got to do this, that can really get in the way too, can't it? Well, and it can kind of sneak up on you. You know, we would find that it's like, oh, well, we're going to do the parks on Thursday with some friends. And then, oh, but this opportunity came up for this thing on Tuesdays. 
And then suddenly, you know, a few weeks in, you're realizing, holy, we've got something every day, you know, and do we want something every day? And for my girls, they really didn't. I mean, they could do it, but it then, you know, we needed a lot of downtime. And then it was, I felt like they didn't have that unfolding. So we would definitely try to keep days for just unfolding. Where is it going to go? You know, we don't have things weighing on us. We can just like let the day unfold. And then we enjoy those other activities too, but it's just keep it in your mind and kind of realize that it can kind of sneak up on you. Yeah. And one other piece that I wanted to touch on too is we can find ourselves, I think, um, more in observer mode when our kids are playing, like they're, they're playing away. We're going to watch and, you know, we're curious about it and we're watching what they're doing and we're thinking, Oh, we can bring this, et cetera, et cetera. But really we can learn so much and just have, have so much fun and connection with our kids when we actually join them in the play. Right. And sure. There may be things to process, but we can always process them later. They don't need to be in the moment. And it reminds me of Ann Oman's wonderful mantra, get out of your head and into the moment. Because when we're in observer mode, we're like a step up, a step disengaged from the moment. And I wanted to share a really cool quote from Bernie DeCoven. And it's that fun is easy. It's wherever you are, whatever you're doing or sensing or thinking, it's between you and the person you're with or the machine you're using or the table you're sitting at or the path you're walking down. It's not something to strive for, but something to melt into, to sink into, to open up to. Fun isn't the hard thing. The hard thing is letting yourself have it. That was one of those kind of light bulb moments for me. It's like, oh, yeah, I keep stepping back a little bit, stepping back a little bit, playing, you know, that observer mode. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to be supportive. I'm going to figure out what they need next. But so often what they really wanted next was me with them, right? And that I could have fun. That was another layer of peeling back. It wasn't all about helping my kids have fun. It was, oh, gee, I can do this too. And I can be having fun with them. And it was part of, you know, because back to what we were talking about before, how we are, you know, work first, play second. Are we really just allowed to have fun? Can we just like do that? Have fun? So yes, this is your permission. Yes. So it's not about putting expectations about play on ourselves. It's just being open to how things unfold and being involved with that. It's not always, it's not putting pressure on my, oh, I must play with them for X hours a day or anything like that. But maybe we join them in their play. Maybe we play something that uh, we enjoy alongside them. Um, maybe we're playing, we're playing something that we like and they come and join us. Like we're, you know, maybe we bring out their prize. Maybe we want to paint, maybe we want to sketch and they come and join us. So it's not that play has to be one way. It's not all focused on the kids, right? When we start opening up and looking at play from our own perspective, that brings yet another whole layer into the interaction, right? It makes, it shows the value of play for everybody. Right. And, and that's just that example of play and, and we're all playing. And I think that helps everybody. And I think something that you just said a few minutes ago kind of sparked me just looking at some of those choices in the moment, because I think even just the kind of work of the home that we can kind of classify as 
oh, you know, I've got to get this done. And then maybe you get a bid from connection from your kids to play Mario Kart or to do something else. And you're like, oh, but I've got to unload the dishwasher or whatever. You know, just start to look at those little things and think, huh, you know, yeah, I can go engage in this play. Like this is going to wait. Or we can figure out, I want to do this. Let's do this together. And then let's come back and do this. Like just look at ways and choices to prioritize fun and that flow for all of you. And I think then that just sets kind of a tone and an energy for your family about how we enjoy playing together. We enjoy being together and we can get these other things done too, but we don't like look at those priorities because again, I think those were just messages in my head, you know, especially early on in my journey was, you know, get the things done and then you can play. And I could see myself kind of handing that over and creating this environment and So it was intentional work I did to know I'm going to prioritize being together and having fun and connecting. And then we will get all the other stuff done. It gets done, you know, (laughs) it really does. It really does. And one last thing that I found so interesting for myself, like when I was playing with the kids, if I was, when I was doing it, because I was at first doing it out of an expectation that I should be doing it. Oh my gosh, it was draining. I was exhausted by the time I finished playing with them. I was starting to look for my out, right? Oh, you know, yeah, I really should get to the dishes now, right? But I did my play piece. Yet when I had made that shift and realized I was choosing to play with them versus doing it as an expectation, oh my gosh, it was so much easier for me to just sink into it as Bernie was talking about. I could sink into it. I could get into the flow. And at the end of it, I was re-energized so often. It was a light, just a lightness, the whole play with them. This is a difference of of just, it's, it's an amazing, amazing how a mindset shift, right? Going into it with an expectation that I have to do this or choosing to do this and leaning into having fun with it. It was like night and day at the end of it because I felt heavier drained or I felt light and more excited and ready for the next thing that was coming up. So I just found that really interesting. (laughs) I agree. I love it. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So now I'd love to talk about how play is a wonderful way to develop self-awareness and to process emotions. This is another aspect that I really love because play is naturally a window through which we gain self-awareness. We explore who we are. Kids are learning so much about themselves through play, which includes tons of practice making choices, seeing how those choices play out, incorporating their experience next time. Play is also a wonderful way to discover the things that we like to do, right? How we find the things we love doing so much that we're willing to work through those hard challenges, right? Playing with the different ways to work through those frustrations, to figure out what kind of tools work for us. And it includes like exploring our bodies and our physical self-awareness through play. Like there are just so many aspects of play where we're learning so much about ourselves, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like this is so important. You know, I've worked with children in various capacities over the years and creating space for them to play and process emotions led to so many wonderful connections and breakthroughs. It's so much easier to work through our tough emotions and process something that maybe we've witnessed in person or that we've watched on TV 
through stuffed animals or a sand table or even physical exercise. You know, even as adults, you'll see a lot of people gravitate towards, I'm going to take a run. I'm going to do something physical when I have something to process or do. So this is just a, a tool of humanity, you know, that of how we can move through things. And, and it gives them in the play for children a chance to try on different sides of a problem, to walk through the different solutions that might be in front of them, you know, to feel out, you know, how do I feel about these different situations? How do I feel about playing the different roles? And all these are such critical steps to learning and, and for learning how we want to express our emotions and how that feels. And another thing I wanted to touch on was I think that sometimes we come into play that maybe we feel is darker or we don't understand it, or it's, you know, angsty music or a fighting game, or it's, you know, something along those lines. And we want to stop it. Basically, we're feeling a little uncomfortable and we want it to stop. (laughs) But it's like, if we can hold the space to participate, if they want us there or to be a sounding board, um, to especially just be a presence without judgment. It opens up for these deeper connections and understanding. If we can come at, you know, if we're coming at something with judgment or wanting to stop it, that person's either going to shut down, at least away from us, take their, their activity over here where we can't see it. But if we can be this open, you know, non-judgmental space, they can do that next to us. And so when they're exploring some maybe darker feelings or darker emotions or trying to understand, you know, some of these things they're hearing or on music or, you know, on a show, when they can do that with us, again, that makes it feel lighter, more connecting. It allows them to then process with us so they can get information. So I never wanted to create an environment where they couldn't bring those things to me. So just think about that. Sometimes when you see that, when you're trying to shut down stuff, it's really just a disconnection. And and we'd much prefer to be connected when someone's exploring, you know, darker topics or bigger emotions or, you know, more volatile emotions. And so, you know, that piece, I just wanted to, um, point out. And that reminded me, so there was a network member who shared recently that she was binge watching this heist show. And, you know, so she was reflecting on why am I so into this show? You know, she's just loving it and watching, 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 watching. And she was like, first, I don't want to rob a bank, you know? (laughs) And then she was like, but I realized she was saying that she realized that she loved the camaraderie of the group that was planning the heist. And she realized that that was something that had been missing for her over the last, you know, year or so for a lot of us. And, um, and she also liked the excitement of the planning and the doing and what was happening in the show. And she realized she was craving some of that. And what was so cool was that then she realized, okay, with that understanding, there were concrete steps she took to yeah, Hey, I'm going to bring some more of this into my life. And it was so interesting seeing how she reflect on that and then was able to like kind of tease through what was happening. And she also mentioned, which I think was really important, that by seeing her own process with this one show, she could see how her children can be getting way more out of maybe the shooting game or the fighting game or something that first meets the eye. You know, it, it's not about the surface level piece. And I think it's important to to point out that we're not always going to know what someone else is getting out of a show. They may not even know and certainly may not be able to articulate, but trusting that they're working through something or exploring, which pretty much always leads to growth and better understanding ourselves. Like that's the space we can hold for them. And I just, I just loved all her insights about that. 
Yes, yes. That is such a lovely, lovely example. And often when we um, do the work, that's what, you know, so often de-schooling is all about us, but it's those pieces of work that we realize, oh, you know, that can be happening for our kids too. And that's where we can start to really lean into the trust. Even if we don't know what it is, certainly not expecting them to be able to articulate something. But yeah, when things come in, whether it's like a shooter game or some some show or angsty music, as you were saying, like whatever it is, we can jump with fear to the future. It's like, oh my gosh, like something's totally wrong. They're they're gonna become this bank robber or you know, whatever it is. And It is just so valuable for us to realize, oh, no, this is processing or this is about something to the on the side of that. But they're exploring it through this window right there. The trust that they are figuring something out is the best place to start. And then over time through conversations, you know, there's a good chance looking back as she did, you'll, you'll see it's like, oh, it was this, oh, they loved this aspect of it. I talked so much about, um, you know, Joseph's love for video games. And it wasn't for months or even a couple of years of seeing like the video games that he chose and what, what was he playing here? And, oh, he didn't want to play this one, you know, that, I finally kind of discovered that at the root, he loved the story aspect of the games, right? So then in figuring that out, I could bring better choices and suggestions, right? Instead of continuing to suggest this, you know, soccer game or sports (laughs) game or, you know, even the shooter games, those kind of things just weren't as interesting to him as the story-based RPG role-playing games, right? (laughs) So it is just so fascinating what can be underneath our play. And when you give play the space to bubble up, then we can process what's bubbling up for us, right? Instead of trying to top down, fix fix things, let things bubble up and trust that they're bubbling up for a reason, even for ourselves. Like I know for me, things bubble up for me and I'm like, okay, I really want to do this. And I do it. And it's not for six, 12 months that I realized, oh, how it was connected, the thread looking back. Now I see, yeah, I can really, really see what I was trying to do. But I could have waited till I figured that out. I might not ever have gotten there. It wasn't until I had the experience that I could figure out what I was looking for out of it. Like she let herself continue binge watching, right? You're not going to figure it out. But the things that you're drawn to and the things that our kids are drawn to trusting that in their play is just so valuable, right? There's a reason. There's a reason we're drawn to something and just follow that to to its natural end. And then you're going to pivot to other things. But just trusting that process, like you said, looking back, it's so much easier to see. But in that moment, you know, our task is just to, to trust and to move forward and just see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. And now, so from I'm pretty sure people have picked this up from our conversation so far, but I wanted to specifically dive into the idea of how we define play, because certainly coming in, um, it's really just about, you know, kids, kids play, they have toys, they play games, it's what kids do. But it is so interesting to play with the idea of how we define play. 
Uh, one of the definitions that I came across that I found really interesting was to engage in an activity for enjoyment and recreation rather than for a serious or a practical end goal. That's the work piece, right? <laughs> to explore play, I think it can be really helpful to ask yourself some questions like, what comes to mind when you first think of play? Is it, is it outside? Is it exploring nature? Or is it a physical activity? Is it toys, board games, sports? Like what pops into your head? And then to explore what else could it be? Is it reading, video games, watching TV or YouTube videos? What are different forms of play for you? Do you value some over others? And I just wanted to go through just a few kinds of play. Um, parallel play, we talked a little bit about. It's when we're playing side by side, maybe with other adults, but maybe with our children, but not specifically together. And this can be such an open-ended and relaxed time, certainly when your kids are older, for conversations to bubble up and flow. It's just kind of setting the scene. Relax side by side play. Like, uh, Lissy and I, Bananagrams is our kind of side. I know we're playing together, but basically we're each creating our own uh, word set. So it, it has always been for us something um, that's really, really fun and allows conversations to just bubble up and flow. There's cooperative play where we're playing together to reach the same goal. I know over the years we have come to love cooperative games like Forbidden Island and Hanabi and The Mind. So that's something that we've always enjoyed. Competitive play, games where there's a winner, though, especially when our kids are younger, I know we found it very helpful to loosen up on the rules to realize that the play was more important than declaring a winner. And it didn't really matter who won in the end, right? I, and playing with the rules, like that was a whole other aspect that was just so fun to discover. <laughs> okay, role-playing. We've mentioned that a couple of times too. From children having fun, like with play kitchens, right? Just role-playing whatever that, that they see going on in their life around them to older kids and adults who engage in cosplay and LARPing, which is live action role playing, right? It's everywhere when we're looking for imaginative play where we're pretending to be other things or people making up scenarios. Maybe they're putting on a play of their own or puppet shows from behind the couch. That was a big one for us. They used to love us recording them doing puppet shows behind the couch there's physical play, which is rough and tumble fun, like climbing trees, running around the playground equipment, riding bikes, all that kind of stuff. Sports, which doesn't need to be on an official team or anything like that, but can be kicking the soccer ball around, playing catch, setting up a hockey net, setting up a basketball net in the driveway. And there's solitary play, which is where we're happily playing by ourselves, fully engaged and immersed in the activity of our choice. That's where I see like single player video games, reading, watching TV, listening to music, activities that we're enjoying with no particular end goal other than to, you know, finish the show or finish the book, etc. But I really, truly see those things as absolutely forms of play. There are just so many possibilities, right? I'm going to stop here. <laughs> but yes, when we open up our definition of play, it is all around us, isn't it? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so much bigger than kind of the narrow view that I think a lot of us come into it with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you've really helped me kind of cement the idea that everything can be play, that it's basically just in how you approach it, you know? And so I love the idea of playing with ideas and solutions and, you know, concepts. And I love approaching things that I might at one time have seen as work or drudgery as play. How can I make this experience fun or relaxing or more interesting? Can I play with the environment or the background? You know, cleaning can be fun to music, pulling weeds as a meditative practice, you know, racing around to put things in baskets or tag teaming to unload the dishwasher while we're silly, you know, silly songs we're singing, you know, approaching everything with that kind of open, curious, playful mindset just changes the energy. And so I think just that expansion of the definition, like you're talking about and realizing all of these things are play and we can take a playful attitude into everything else, you know, wow, it just really opens up so many things. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads us right into that last topic, the dichotomy of work and play, because that is something that I've loved and coming to bringing a real playful approach just to everything in my day, even the things that are considered work that have a particular goal, right? And I really wanted to share a couple of quotes that I've come across over the years that really have spoke to me about that, but have come, I love seeing the same kind of ideas out in the wild, right? So Thomas M. Sterner, who wrote The Practicing Mind, which dives deep into the idea of deliberate practice, um, he wrote, we make an activity into work or play by our judgments, right? <laughs> it really is a choice. Like, it's just a label we're putting on things, right? It doesn't have to be that definition to realize that, that it's totally under our control, how we judge things. And when we bring in that play element, all of a sudden, we are, it helps us loosen up expectations, even on work, it helps us loosen up from that one right way, that something should be done and seeing other <clears throat> creative possibilities. With play, we bring that creative aspect in so much more readily than work. Work isn't for play, you know. <laughs> Another one that jumped out was so fun to me. It was in a fiction book called The Humans by Matt Haig. And, you know, aliens are here. They come to the planet to learn more about human beings. Um, and so he was doing a, a list to explain, you know, a human student. So number 76, in your mind... Change the name of every day to Saturday and change the name of work to play. Right. It's like, it was just so fun to see that out in the wild. And it's like, oh, yeah, even in a fiction book, like he's got that, that view, he, you know, seeing the value of playing with how we define work and play. And for me, just that approach has really been integral to our unschooling lives because when I'm feeling playful, this is where I'm more curious about what's up, right? It's when I'm more open to the possibilities and not fixed on there being that one right way forward. And it's where I'm more creative. It's where I can think out of the box. It's just so much value comes with doing nothing but changing my mindset, changing my approach, right? Taking away that work, that weight, that weight we feel when we think of something as work. I got to get this done. I got to get those dishes done before I can go play. I got to get, you know, this X, Y, Z, whatever it is that we're feeling weight about. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we don't care. 
that it happens, that's not it at all. But it's like, I can be more playful. I can see ways that that can flow in. I can see ways to make that more enjoyable. Like there is just, a, when you bring that playful approach to your days, to each moment, every I, it just feels so much more light, doesn't it? <laughs> so much. And, and like you said, there's the choice aspect and a language aspect and an intentionality. So it's all those pieces kind of rolled together. And that's where we can have a real impact on how we feel about how we're moving through the world. And those are simple changes. You know, this is, you know, this is simple changes to just to change your language about something, to change the way you're thinking about something. And it just opens up all these possibilities. And, and this whole dichotomy of work and play has really been something that I've had to examine over, you know, decades. And I feel like David has really helped me with this one, you know, because I was taught mostly through school, but society in general that you need to work hard and then you can play. And I think it's such a damaging idea because of it. I didn't realize that work could be fun and play at the same time. I didn't realize that play leads to everything. And now I know that playing makes all the difference. I love getting into the flow of play. I enjoy physical things that some might call work, but I find that it quiets a lot of noise. And what I've seen is that I can come out of that flow with new ideas. I can more quickly solve something where I may have been stuck when I went into it. Um, when I have in the past taken the kind of buckle down and get it done before you play approach, I've seen that it actually takes much longer to solve the problem or figure the thing out. And it's nowhere near as fun, <laughs> you know? So just embracing that play is a sacred time. It feeds me. It connects me with others. It stimulates my brain to find new pathways that helps me integrate new ideas. That is liberating. And one of the um, members of the network kind of posed this question, maybe work is something that feels tedious, obligatory, or difficult, a should, and play is something that feels light, in flow, not obligatory, but chosen. And I guess I do think that choice is such a big part of it, you know, because, and along with that joy and flow, and maybe it's something that bubbles up from inside versus um, trying to meet an external need or feeling external pressure or expectations or some kind of measurement outside. So like you were talking about earlier, leaving that space for things to bubble up from inside of our kids and ourselves, you know, that leads us down this path of play. And I mean, no matter what, it's just interesting to play with our definitions and our prejudices around this subject and see where it leads us, see how it feels to think of it differently. Yes, yes. I love all that. And I love that idea of work as expectation. Is that how we're defining it? It's an outside expectation put on us because I discovered and for years now, it has been really important to me when I get an expectation from outside to take that moment to do my own internal processing because I'm an internal processor, yeah. process it however you like, <laughs> but it's to process it, to realize, to find the choice, to realize why I want to meet that expectation. And then it's a choice. Right. And then I can move forward with it as a choice. Oh, I know why I want to do this thing. Yes, it's going to meet that expectation. And it doesn't matter. Like 
that's another layer I had to peel back is like, when I did the thing, they, what was the other person thinking? Oh, you know, they did it because I asked them to, or I told them they needed to do that. You know, they can have whatever view they want, but I know I had a reason. I know it was my choice and everything opened up from there. Like the weight of the expectation um, really lessen dramatically so that I could bring that playful approach. And I got to choose how I met that expect. I chose my own path through it. I figured out ways that it would flow for me. It's just kind of like a, a night and day difference. So it is so valuable for me not to just keep on taking expectation, expectation and doing it that way, but to take that moment to realize why I'm choosing to do it. And over the years, yeah, as you said, you know, our kids are older now. Just living that way alongside them, I think, has helped them see, like, there aren't, there are always possibilities. I can keep looking for the possibilities and I can shift the whole, you know, there's not one right way. I have my goals, my aspirations, and there are lots of different ways to get there. And I can um, you know, take a little jog here, a little turn there, and still keep going where I want to go. And I can change my goals and my aspirations. You know, I am not locked into them. Just that playful approach um, and trusting ourselves when we're drawn to doing so. Like I, I've said that, oh, I really feel like I have no clue why all of a sudden I want to do that. Or it's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for six months and I finally figured out why. You know, all those people just having those conversations along the way. And I can see them, you know, out in the world and doing their their things now that they are shifting and changing and moving and doing all sorts of things. That really comes from play. Because, you know, when we when, you know, a child's playing in the sandbox or outside, they're trying all these different things. And does this work? Does it not work? That didn't work. I'm going to try something else. And they're just having fun and playing and in the flow. But what we're saying is those skills that they're building, that experience that they're building playing, they're going to take to when they have to figure out where am I going to move? What kind of job do I want? How do I feel about this relationship? Because they're going to have that idea of there's lots of ways to solve something. What way feels good? And I can play with those ideas. So it's just, it's, it's critical, sacred work. Yeah. Play is life, right? (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. And it's such a joy. And I had so much fun diving into play. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.